Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to this week's episode of Pitch. Last week, Lee and I started a little chat with Eagle Smith. We're going to pick that up this week. Eagle is a filmmaker originally from a small Alaskan fishing village called Metlakatla. Eagle once produced 60 short films in the course of two years, and she is currently in pre-production for her first feature film that she's producing and she also wrote. We're going to start where we left off, with me asking Eagle if she is even thinking about her next project while ramping up on her current one. I want to ask about your thought process on your next projects and i know you're in pre-production on a feature your first feature correct yeah so maybe your thought process and isn't even on your next projects because this is going to be so consuming for so long but what are if any your thoughts about the next stories you want to tell and are they contingent on this process that you're about to embark on um i do have a next project that i've already started and it's more of a long-term kind of thing so it's separate but to answer that part of the question first it's actually not contingent upon this process it's separate from this process um i have a pilot that i wrote about it's a modern day robin hood and it's about a city native because we don't see that part of natives in depicted in film and television. So it's about a city native who is in a gentrified neighborhood and she decides after she loses her home, it's time to start stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. And so what I've done with that is it's a podcast and the goal is to build up a following. The goal is to get it done. The goal is to do it and give opportunity to writers who are not writing or putting their stuff up for production um, to get stuff up for production uh, and produce something. And if all goes well, then it builds a following and suddenly I have IP, intellectual property that I can sell to somebody. That's, you know, kind of like the dream but the the big part of this is it's just something to do and it's something to keep you going it's something to keep you focused it's something to keep your skills sharp cool that sounds very cool very cool um so speaking about being an emerging filmmaker and going from doing your short film uh, podcast to your first feature film you have something that I don't know a lot about, but you did the Native American TV Writers Lab. Do you want to talk yeah. about the process of how you got into it and then what it did for you and what you learned? Yeah. Uh, so that comes with a little bit of a backstory. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm an actress and I was actually up for a role in Killers of the Flower Moon, which I lost out on. And it was one of the most devastating days of my life. Um, Damn. Well- And as a result, I wrote the aforementioned pilot um, because I needed to do something. 
uh, aside from that, I was also helping my mother recover who almost passed away the year before. So I was in this place of what am I going to do next? And I wrote the pilot, which ended up getting me into the Native American Writers Seminar, the inaugural Native American Writers Seminar put up by the Native American Media Alliance. And through that process, which was an intense course, it was an intense dive into what a script should look like. I reframed my pilot, wrote a spec for the other two, and took the necessary steps to apply for the TV Writers Lab. And much to my surprise, I got in. Uh, but the process itself was 12 weeks. And it was an intense process. We learned what people learn through the course of several years in a matter of 12 weeks. I got insight on what a script should look like so well that it's it's not easy for me, but I get it. It's become second nature. The writing process has become second nature to me. It's very, it's like, oh, okay, we need to save the cat. We need dark night of the soul what's what's the how is this going to end we need to know how it ends before we even know what journey they go on um so the process itself was um really intense there were 12 of us and oh excuse me it wasn't 12 weeks it was eight weeks uh there's 12 of us and it was eight weeks um it just but it felt was, like 12 weeks yeah it, and um once you're finished once we were finished we actually were awarded from netflix a writer's grant of $10,000 each. So much thanks to Netflix for believing in us and for giving us the opportunity that we got. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what else to say on it other than um, I was tired and I read a lot of scripts and I did a lot of writing. I learned that I can do a 25 page redraft overnight. I can cut my script from 60 pages down to 46 pages in the matter of several hours and still have the same story. I learned a lot about myself and what I'm able to do. And the biggest one that I've learned is that I'm not married to anything that I write. I'm not married to it at all. I'm married to the story. The story is going to be there. But if you tell me I have a 110 page script and needs to be 105 and you want the whole first beginning redone, I'm going to have that done, but over the weekend. So um, I learned a lot about like, I'm because I'm really willing to let go. I can do these major turnarounds overnight. This is like some of the most important stuff for writers to be able to handle and to manage is cutting their darlings editing their work in service of what usually is a better script and a better story or a better um, way of telling their story. So mm -hmm. hats off to you for going through that process. <laughs> it's Machiavellian. It's quite <laughs> Machiavellian. The ends justify the means. The end result is if I have a pilot that sells, then so be it. Then there go four characters. Sorry. Bye. Yep. yep. I mean, that's some, that's something that, Roger Deakins talks about, he says, when you're doing location scouting, when he's doing location scouting and he goes to a place, he says, the the sin that you can commit that's the worst sin is you have to think about where's the lighting coming from, because it's not about that. It's always about the story. And that's something that you just said. You were like, I can change this, this, and this. A, B, and mm -hmm. C, gone, fine. But it's the story. That's the 
that's the battleground. That's the thing worth fighting for. That's the thing that you don't change. Yeah. Yeah. And I found through the process of the lab, especially that one, many people are married to what they first write and that can hold yourself back because there's the story is still there. I, my protagonist in the pilot from the lab um, called Burden of Proof is a epileptic lawyer who gets psychic visions. And originally I had her with four daughters, but as I read the script and got notes, I said, okay, she doesn't need four daughters or a dog. Goodbye dog, goodbye other two daughters. Doesn't, don't, just don't need it because the story is still there. She's still an epileptic lawyer with psychic visions and she still has this thing happen to her by the end of the pilot that makes her want to join the crime world. So that is still there. It's irrelevant. It became irrelevant to me to have extra characters. And so I took them out. Easy peasy. Um, I know that's not easy for people to do. Like you just said, um, not many people are willing to kill their darlings. But I don't know. The story is the darling to me. And if it helps the reader see the story better to take out mishmash, I'm going to take out the mishmash. This may be uh, a, a feel like somewhat of a uh, provocation, but in your stories, do you feel beholden to accurately represent non-native people through either consulting people, or do you feel like the non-indigenous or non-native characters in your stories are there to serve your mission statement of helping the world and the inter- entertainment industry see natives? in a different light, which is like your perspective? <clears throat> so that's a really good question. And I like that question a lot. Um, and I'll answer it with this. As a city native, I grew up around non-natives. So in my stories, I write what I know. And I write who I've come in contact with on some level. And I don't consult non-natives about how they want to be represented, although that is a really good point because if I represent another culture, for example, in Burden of Proof, one of the main characters is Maori because I never see Maori on screen. I've seen like maybe twice in my life. And ironically, Cliff Curtis is a wonderful actor and he's Maori, but nobody ever talks about him being Maori. Yeah, he plays everything else under the sun except Maori, which is the irony. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, So I made one of the main characters Maori, but that is, but I kind of cheated and he's adopted. So he grew up in a non-native world, just like the city native that I wrote in to be the protagonist. Okay. Um, so I do write the characters to serve the protagonist. Um, and I write native culture experience the way that I know it. Cool. And yeah. as a city native, I didn't grow up around the reservation. I grew up in the city. Yeah. I spent my summers on the reservation, but my taste of reservation life is more like a piece of a pie than eating the whole pie. Well said. I I have the sense that your reluctance to enter this, this current script into the fray of like writing competitions and 
um, feedback services because of the potential for people to give you notes based on their misperception of native life. I feel like there is a strong push for cultural stories, culturally mm. diverse stories mm -hmm. that without, you know, knowing all of the people behind the, this initiative that they want these stories to be culturally insular. Like you're telling with your pilot script, a story about a, a, a native woman who lives in the city. Right. So it's not yeah. like her culture on the try uh, on the reservation with her tribes, people, do you think we'll get to a point where non-Caucasian, non-white lead characters can move through their stories in non-super culturally dense ways and it'll be accepted? Yes. Great. Perfect answer. I agree. That's that's part of my desire for my, my own career. Yeah, and it's taken a lot of time, but like each each group of people has had to shape their own path in this industry. We went from seeing black people depicted as house servants and slaves to now we have Wakanda forever, you know? So, and that, that took time. That didn't happen overnight for black people. That took a lot of talented, talented artists showing up and saying we're more than a house slave we're more than a more than a maid we are a talented group of people that can perform shakespeare and here we are in mm -hmm. hollywood and i think it's going to take native americans to do the same thing native americans have to say we're more than just res people we live off the res too we're more than just our culture we are doctors and lawyers we have somebody in congress for crying out loud we have the sec, uh, the in oh my gosh I'm gonna get her title wrong Deb Haaland we have Deb Haaland a famous politician who's Native American and it shouldn't matter that she's Native American like her culture shouldn't matter for her position and it doesn't she's there because she's a good politician and that's what it should be in Hollywood is. An actor should have opportunity because they're good at what they do. And it shouldn't matter what their background is and what their race is. They should just show up. That's why I love the show Bridgerton so much. It, because Bridgerton and Orange is the New Black, this is where Netflix gets it right so hard when it comes to um, diversity and inclusion is they've allotted for these two incredibly successful television programs to cast outside of the box. And it is wildly successful. It is, it's amazing. It's amazing to watch these programs because these people, these actors get to show up and just be good at what they do. It's, and it's the Hamilton effect. Yeah, exactly. And that's how I thought casting would be when I first entered Hollywood. I was for sure like, oh no, this is, we're moving forward. This is the time of progression. It was not like that. I got, there's no rules for natives all day long. I got people telling me I should learn Spanish. I got someone tell me I should learn Tagalog so that I have an edge. And wow. yeah, I, I was like, but I'm Native American and it doesn't matter that I'm Native American because our stories are just stories. They're, 
they, I live in the city. There's no reason I can't play a doctor on this thing on this show or this program. I agree with you. I think, I think one of the exhausting things about underrepresentation is you have to fight two battles. And the first battle is you're fighting for your right to be in the room. And then the second Mm -hmm. battle is doing exactly what you're doing, which is you have to create your own content and you have to make sure that nobody else gets a say in what that content is. And that stood true for that's how Mindy Kaling got her start, Mm -hmm. right? Because she made her own shit and she put it up on stage and then it went to Colorado. And then the guy, what's his name was in the audience and invited her to LA, but it happened because she put all of her money into herself. She put all of her time into herself. Yeah. And now we have never have I ever shows like champion movies, uh, the Mindy project. We have really successful shows that she's created that are really good. Yeah. And we wouldn't see those otherwise. Yeah. So I think, I think you're fighting the good fight out there and however we can, and our audience can support you. Oh yeah. I can't wait. (laughs) Oh, you know, I was reading your bio and I think that we may have met before because I also did studio four. Oh, did you? Yes, I did. So we must have been in like in the audience at the same time or somewhere. What, what time frame did you do studio four and what did you do there? Uh, 2017. And I was part of the only comedy program uh, taught by Sean Whelan. Um, I was there 2000. 13 and again in 2016 but I I know Sean Whelan's class I've never met him but um I'm sure that we know people oh I would not doubt this town is so small so small we just did a table read last night and one of the actors is friends with one of my high school or one of my college friends I'm just sitting there like and then friends with someone who's part of my accountability group, my um, multi-hyphenate artist accountability group. And um, I'm just sitting here like, it's such a small world. It's so small. I went to one of the Angels jujitsu classes and uh, Garrett Phillips is his last name, right? Garrett Phillips from yeah. Studio Four, who you might know, Eagle, was there. He's an actor. He's oh, like- wow so small so for the people who don't know what studio four is give us a quick um explanation of what that was or is or uh, james, franco, <laughs> james franco who studied meisner who's well known for using mm-hmm. meisner uh created studio four which was his own acting school and it was a it was sort of like an add-on to the Playhouse West, which teaches Meisner and only has three theaters. So he named it Studio Four because it was like saying this was like the fourth appendage to that. Um, But it's James Franco's acting school in short summary. Yeah. Got it. Is it it still operating or is that now defunct? No, no, no. No, he had too many allegations against him. I think he- Yeah, he uh, he got ahead and just shut everything down. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, Eagle, um, Leah, did you have more? You have one more question. I have one more question. Um, cool. Let so it, one it. of your one of your short films made it into a film festival. I'm blanking on the name. I want to say Monaco, but that's not right. Oh yeah, it was the Monaco Film Festival, and it was a short film called Red Velvet. 
originally we shot this for uh, the 48 hour film festival and our director who is from Africa wanted to get it anywhere else and submitted it. We got into the Monaco film festival. Did you end up going? No, I unfortunately am a poor, poor person. (laughs) Um, It would have been nice to attend the Monaco Film Festival. I'm very grateful that they showed our project. It would have been very expensive to attend the Monaco Film Festival. It's a very expensive part of the world. That's that's (laughs) one one of the things. Yeah, one day. Yeah. When you're talking about budgeting for your feature film, that's one of the things that people forget like when you're budgeting, it's usually done in thirds, right? Like a third of it goes to production, mm-hmm. a third of it goes to post-production, and a third of it goes into marketing. And part of marketing is making sure that you have plane tickets to the festival that you want to go to, mm-hmm. that you, unfortunately, you have to buy, sometimes you have to buy certain badges or sometimes it's included if you win. And then you have to think of uh, the hotel room and then a PR person because a PR person at a place like can paying $10,000 is worth it because that PR person connects you to the parties that are happening afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that's where your community can be found. Oh yeah. But all of it is this, all of it is money, 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 money. And you know what? It all builds Sometimes you, sometimes with one project, you've just got to start small, work with what you have and build up a name for yourself so that the next project you're doing A, B, and C. Yeah. Well, Eagle, this has been an absolute treat to get to learn a little bit more about you for myself. Um, And I wish you the best of luck with your feature. It sounds fun and hilarious. And I love that it's like self-aware and also like poking fun at a lot of like stuff that Hollywood has gotten wrong. It's kind of turned it on its head, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, I'd love to have you back, you know, when you're further along in the process to hear more war stories, to see how things have like developed in this particular project and with everything else that you're working on. Oh, heck yeah. I'd love to come back. You guys have yeah. been an absolute delight. This has been awesome. I loved it every minute. Um, it was yeah. educational and, and fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. Happy Sunday. Yeah. Happy Sunday. Yeah. Well, thanks again. And, um, cheers from Hollywood. Cheers from Hollywood. Cheers to Hollywood. (laughs) We'd like to again thank Eagle Smith for coming on and chatting with us. And thank you for listening. If you're on the fence about subscribing, know that a portion of all subscription fees go toward the nonprofit Young Storytellers, raising voices one story at a time.